0: Welcome everyone to The Lighthouse, a podcast series dedicated to providing advanced financial planning and wellness insights to clients and families we serve. My name is Jack Butler, and my business partner, John Stanford, and I are financial advisors with the Hatteras Wealth Management Group at UBS, located at 6100 Fairview Road in Charlotte, North Carolina. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Clint Bundy, Managing Director of The Bundy Group. The Bundy Group is an investment banking firm with offices in North Carolina, New York, and Virginia. Having successfully advised in over 200 transactions over the past 30 years, Clint will share with us some great insights that business owners should be considering when they're looking to either grow or exit their business. As always, we welcome your questions and feedback, and we hope you enjoy the show. Well, Clint, I want to first start off by saying thank you for joining us in Lighthouse Podcast today. I know our audience is going to get a tremendous amount of value from hearing your thoughts, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks, Jack.
1: The pleasure's all on this end. I do appreciate it.
0: Well, we're glad to have you. And before we get into your remarks about the current environment and kind of where we are in the M and A space, just wanted you to, to, if you wouldn't mind, giving us in the audience a, a brief background of your career and where it led to, to where you and the Bundy Group are today.
1: Sure. Well, my career is that I effectively grew up in this business. My father started the company in 1989 with the purpose then and what is still the purpose today of representing privately held businesses, usually in one of two major events. And that's either a business sale, and that could be 100% sale or a sale of a majority equity percentage of a company. And then the second event is a capital raise. And so I had the good fortune to, to watch my father build a firm, do a lot of things right, make a lot of mistakes. And I got to grow up in that and be actively involved. And so my career was growing up in it, had a prior life in consulting, which still involved advising owners. But then my destiny, I think, was to come back into investment banking and ultimately work with my father. I did do a stint in corporate investment banking with Wachovia Securities, which is how I landed in Charlotte, which allowed me to spend a lot more time and let's just call it the the middle market and then the corporate markets for M&A transactions, which then kind of led my path further back to Bundy Group, which is a boutique investment bank that works in primarily the middle and lower middle markets.
0: You clearly have a passion for that space, not only given your expertise in what you do for clients now, but also just with your your ties to your family business and whatnot. That's fantastic. So just to kind of recap the last year and a half, because it's been... A whirlwind for us all, and the M and A market is is no exception with COVID and how everything's been, you know, impacted by that. But you know, just kind of looking at what you experienced in 2020 and kind of where we're at now in 2021, and then kind of looking ahead into 2022, just give us kind of maybe a summary of maybe the next kind of 18 months tied into the previous 18 months and make sense of all that for us right now.
1: Uh, yeah, certainly um, as you to your point, it's been a, a really interesting past 18 months to 24 months. So let's start with 2020 just to do kind of the timeline. 2020, you know when COVID and the pandemic broke loose, let's just call it kind of springish 2020. I think a lot of people in my profession, myself included by the way, had the immediate reaction of, oh my gosh, it's, oh, it's going to be 08, 09 again in terms of the dislocation that's going to occur in the economy, that's going to occur in the MA market, which took a se- severe nosedive in the kind of that 2008, 2009 timeframe. Companies across the board are going to have a negative impact and it's going to take them years to recover. And I think that to some degree was maybe somewhat true for a month or two in in, in kind of spring-ish twenty twenty. But pretty quickly we saw a rebound. We saw confidence quickly regain across a lot of industries. Now, and Jack, I know you're on the front lines of seeing a lot of companies, a lot of industries. So I'm sure you'd have insights in this as well. But what we saw is there were certainly some industries such as travel and hospitality, they did really take it on the chin to a pretty severe degree in 2020. But a lot of other industries pretty quickly learned to adapt and operate in this new normal. So whether you're talking about technology, you're talking about healthcare, you're talking about business services, we didn't see company performances crater, and we certainly didn't see a degradation of value in those companies But what we did see is that they had to adapt pretty quickly in terms of how do we get people on site to work for a client? How do we manage our employees while they're working out of their homes? How do we just continue to generate revenue where we know we've got client demand, but now it becomes more of an operations issue. What we found is a lot of owners and businesses out there learned to adapt. And on the M&A market side, the demand from strategic buyers and financial investors, or if I use the word financial sponsors or private equity groups, those are all the same, effectively in the same bucket. That demand was still very, very much there to invest in and acquire companies. So at the end of the day, what we saw was a pretty robust 2020 MA and capital market MA market, capital markets. And frankly it was we saw that in our own pipeline. It was one of our our best years ever. And that included transactions and and healthcare and technology. So that was kind of the 2020 that we witnessed. Then transitioning into 2021, we saw that sort of continued theme and momentum of companies continuing to adapt to operate this new normal. A lot of firms, of course, the PPP loan was a big infusion for a lot of firms to help them in 2020 have that momentum to then transition into 2021 and keep keep the wheels turning, as they say the m and a market has continued to experience a lot of strong activity. valuations across many industries are in some cases at kind of record highs, which I think is in part a reflection of just the amount of capital out there in the market and the fact that strategic buyers who are effectively industry buyers and then private equity groups and other financial sponsor groups are looking for means for growth, and part of that's through acquisition. And then finally, what I would just add, uh, a couple other final points I want to add, though, about 2021, which are, I think, very relevant for the market where we are today, before I take a pause there, (laughs) is that the threat of tax rate changes is certainly driving a lot of owners to sell. And I know that's still very much um, uh, an open question because things are working their way through Congress as we speak. But that is, you've seen a lot of owners get off the fence and say, you know what, I want to go ahead and... sell now and and do it at hopefully a lower tax burden than they would be in a a new tax environment. And then the second item that I would say has been a big impact on companies and owners 2021 has been the supply chain issues that we've seen across the board in many, many industries. And I read an article last night in an industry publication. We do a lot in the technology and automation space. And a survey from Control Engineering Magazine, for its reader, owner readership base and company readership base, said that 87% of the companies that have been interviewed have been negatively impacted to some degree or another by supply chain issues. Wow! So that's kind of where we are today.
0: One of the, the key things I, I kept picking up on from 2020, I guess depending on you know which industry it was in, but into 2021 was that demand just across the board is just off the charts. You know whether your customer demand or buyer or seller demand in the M&A space seems like there hasn't been a lack of that really anywhere unless your industry was you know, directly impacted by whether it's shutdowns or travel or like you said hospitality retail things of that nature but that seems to be coming back you know to an extent but you know I just wanted to pick up on real quick before we get into your thoughts around 2022 what are your clients you know, doing and thinking about and what is your view on the tax rate changes from where things stand? What are you telling clients? And then also, how are they addressing these other concerns, whether it's supply chain issues or even labor shortages, for example? And that that, that for me, I know you're going to talk about that here in a second. It's just the number one thing that we hear of probably more than anything else is just can't find people, can't get great workers. And even had a client who so that he's having, you know, the first time in twenty years has ever happened that he's been doing this, hiring folks, and the day they begin work, they they quit, they walk off the job, and they not to be seen again. It's just, I mean, it's happened like half a dozen times this year. So, I mean, just if you can, you know, and, and succinctly as you can, you know, what what are your thoughts around all those different dynamics? Because I know we could talk about all that stuff all day long. So,
1: yeah, and great great questions and comments. And let's start with what is a key matter, which I was going to tee up with your 2022 question, which is the war for talent, or just getting people to even, you know, come and and, and frankly, work whether or not you want to call them talent or not. Uh, Let's just Mm -hmm. call it a a workforce solutions. And that is a universal issue as well, across many, many companies, whether you're talking about high-end engineering talent, or you're talking about somebody who's going to clean out an industrial electric motor, which is a very kind of grimy blue collar s job. It's tough to find talent on both ends of that spectrum. What I am seeing and hearing from my clients and my potential clients is that they're trying to manage to the best of their ability with that issue. They're automating more. We're very bullish on the automation space. So it's let's find a way to make use of the talent we've got and then couple that with software solutions, technology solutions. Let's, get, let's streamline our operations so that we could get more out of what we do have versus trying to go find this kind of phantom workforce that just frankly may not either be out there or, or interested in working. So no easy solutions, though, on the talent side. And Jack, to your point, many of our clients, potential clients, have more work than they know what to do with. It's not demand that's the issue. It is how do we get the people to work for us, and how do we solve these supply chain issues? Those are the big bottlenecks today. Um, mm-hmm. On the tax rate changes side, and this really probably ends up being more in your camp from an expertise perspective than than bundy groups because we're we're certainly not going to be ones to give the tax advice. But what I would just say from an observational standpoint, is that we are, if you look at the, I guess, the past 60 years, we are in a historically low tax rate environment, and we are running a lot of deficits. I think there's only one way to go, which is going to be up. What I don't know, of course, is that going to take into effect in 2021 or 2022 or beyond. And so what I would just encourage any owner to do is work with someone like yourself to really understand what's the impact when I do uh, complete some kind of uh, business sale or capital raise event. What's that impact going to be on my own personal finances? At various tax scenarios, which I know is down your fair way to work mm-hmm. through.
0: Yeah, and I think I think to your point. I mean, we we cannot. Nobody can predict what people in Washington D.C. will do and what they end up landing on. And and there's there's clearly a lot of as as of recording today, a lot of infighting right now over, yeah, you know, the whole legislative process and what happens with taxes and a lot of give and take in that regard. But to your point, I think that's where kind of the planning around different scenarios for whatever those rates may be and maybe kind of steering more towards the conservative side, I think makes a lot of sense. And um, again, just just being proactive in that regard is uh, is that the most important. And also to your point just about the labor issues, I mean, I heard recently that we have uh, 5 million people who are currently unemployed, but 12 million job openings. And I think that the thing that's fascinating is that it used to be where no matter if you paid health insurance, you know benefits 12 dollars an hour you know yeah you'd have quite a few yeah, folks that would leave and go get that 14 dollar an hour job somewhere else and that was just kind of the reality of it but now it's almost like whether you pay them 15 20 dollars an hour benefits it it doesn't matter i mean it, it's not as if they're leaving to go elsewhere so hopefully at some point that will resolve itself and 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 cuz like you said it's almost it seems like our our economy is just kind of waiting to really explode and take off in this recovery process from from covid so just a fascinating dynamic to say the least. But to just kind of switch gears here for a second. You know, your firm has helped hundreds of business owners over the years with transactions on both sides of the aisle and to really try and simplify those experiences. What, in your view, Clint, typically leads to a great outcome versus a, 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 a poor outcome in those uh, circumstances?
1: Yeah, no, that's a, a great question. And I'll, I'll try to boil it down to a few takeaways. But let me first start with there are. A lot of really good buyer, let me call it strategic options available to owners out there today in a variety of industries and with companies with a variety of profiles and sizes. So, whether you're talking about strategic buyers who are effectively industry buyers, you're talking about private equity groups who usually acquire majority equity percentages of a company and then leave an owner with a minority equity percentage, whether you're talking about growth equity, which is usually acquiring minority equity in a company. And then there are even groups out there that will just provide pure debt to owners if they want to find ways to either do a dividend recapitalization or need growth capital. There are a lot of options out there for owners today, which is that's probably, you know, certainly my father, if he were on this call, would tell you that's been a nice migration to see from 1989 when there were a whole lot less options, mm-hmm. capital options. The question is and are there options? And there are options. And where there are a lot of options, that means there's the potential for owners to drive better valuation, as well as find the best fit for them, which are usually our two angles in every process, valuation and fit for a client. To your question of what is it they need to do to realize that optimal valuation and find that best fit? Well, I, I always start with the preparation is absolutely critical preparation in terms of one, making sure they're motivated is the timing right for them to do this. And it's, this is where you get into the head versus the heart. Well, really the head and the heart need to be there to go actually pursue some kind of transactional event, because if an owner is really not committed to doing it emotionally and time wise and what have you, then it can be a kind of a wasted exercise for everybody and then the second is what i would say is making sure the business is performing at the right levels that's financial books and records are clean and that they're defensible make sure other elements of the business are in place that demonstrate kind of strength such as a robust and management team that demonstrates continuity of the business outside of the owner make sure you as the owner you and your advisors can articulate all elements of the, of the business strengths potential challenges Growth opportunities. Ultimately, buyers are very going to be very focused on growth. They're not buying the past or the present. They're really buying the future. And then you want to be able to put that into kind of writing and then the storyboard me- messaging. And then finally, what I'd say is for the outcome is use competition to your advantage. I mean, this goes back to my comment a couple minutes ago, which is there are options out there. Those options are, uh, you know, willing in this day and age to pay strong valuations for companies, but they're not going to do it unless they have to. So mm-hmm. that's uh, hopefully, I that guess that gives at least a, some good checkpoints for potential owners or potential sellers out
0: there. Yeah. And it's, you brought up, you know, just, you know, knowing your options. And I think, you know, you, you guys do a great job with this and we try to focus on this as well. And just, it really comes down to the education of, of the whole experience. And like you said, I mean, I think it's amazing how many times a client who, Gets that 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 phone call in the middle of the day with someone kind of interested in looking at their business. They haven't taken the time to really explore what all is available to them. And at some point along the way, if they haven't you know really done that, it's gonna you know, doubts gonna creep in, and they're gonna wonder if I'm only you know going to going through this process with one potential buyer as opposed to multiple. Well, like you said, that competition too could could really help drive the the enterprise value for that owner as well. So all that's extremely important. And also, just when it comes to messaging, you talked about you know really just communication, not only to the person on the other end of the table, but talk about just for a moment about family dynamics and the dynamics between partners who maybe aren't family members, but that oftentimes can be challenging. And sometimes people who have an ownership stake aren't on the same page when it comes to the direction of an exit or transaction. So, how can owners, generally speaking, overcome some of those challenges when you know they're not really seeing eye to eye on everything?
1: Uh, a great question you're you're asking this question to a guy who who has been through a family business transition i was a, a partner with my father for a long time of course founded our firm and we went through our own succession planning exercise i guess it for lack of a better term and, and you know it is and i've of course seen this with a lot of clients whether they've been doing internal transfers or they're transitioning the business out from a family ownership structure to a strategic buyer or a private equity buyer relationship. And it's, it's, it can be complex. And uh, Jack, I know you've seen a lot of these in your career as well. First and foremost, what I would say to any ownership group from a family perspective, or let's just say two partners who are very, you know, longtime partners and good friends is involve advisors. For us, just to give you from our own personal angle, we involve the family business. Consultant who is experienced in, in helping transition businesses internally from one generation to the next and was good at not only just dealing with the nuts and bolts, but was also really had an expertise in dealing with the emotions of the situation and, and how do you juggle the dynamics that go with that. So, involve an advisor, and that may be a family business consultant, that may be a financial advisor like you, Jack, it may be an investment banker like me, it may be a combination of all of the above. But you really need somebody, and, and certainly I'll throw in a, a good seasoned corporate M&A attorney can be a great advisor as well. What I would say is get an advisor involved because you really need to have that to help kind of give a roadmap and maybe also to kind of help norm, stabilize a potential of volatility on the emotional side.
0: Oh, of course. And and I couldn't agree more. We tell clients that you know if they're contemplating a, an exit from their business, it's almost like going to the Super Bowl there aren't any do-overs, you know, once once you're playing the game and once it's happened and you, you wanna make sure you have the best team on the field possible to, to give you the chance to have the best outcome. So, you know, you talk about just the importance of having, you know, a great M&A advisor, a great investment banker, CPA, M&A attorney, maybe a, a financial advisor, and just talk for a moment about the importance of them all working in a coordinated fashion because have you ever had any instances in your experience where maybe some of the advisors aren't aligned or they're not communicating and it's creating confusion and clients are hearing one thing from one person, one thing from another person. Touch on that for a few moments if, if you can.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll start out with uh, an example situation. And I, I think let me start with the themes before I even give the, the case study is, it, it is all about coordination and communication. Because when you're going through a, a major transactional event, you've got the, not only the business owner, but you could have the business owner, you could have his manage, his or her management team, you could have the attorney or attorneys, you could have the accountant, you could have an investment banker, you could have a financial advisor like you. So that's a lot of parties. And ideally, all of those parties are in the same boat rowing in the same direction. But there are certainly plenty of cases where at least at the outset, it's not, we had a, an event transaction we were referring to, this has been probably uh, four or five years ago, and it was a a manufacturing and services company focused on the infrastructure space. And the owner was ready to exit and had basically been a passive owner for a number of years, had a really, really good management team. Well, uh, the challenge was, is the management team, when we were introduced, the management team and the owner weren't talking to each other. There were a lot of complex reasons behind that. Part of it is I think the management team just didn't feel like their voice was being heard. So there wasn't a, uh, the owner working with his advisors and the management team to say, here's where I'm trying to get. And by the way, I want you guys to be on board with this. I don't feel like the owner at that stage had really had to the opportunity to, to boil that essence in that meeting down with the management team. And then there was conflict with the owner's lawyers and the management team and then the accountant who was trusted by both the management team and the owner, was kind of left out on the sideline by himself. So we were brought in and we actually had to spend about the first three or four months of that engagement doing more internal facilitation and negotiation for the parties than we did externally with potential buyers. The good news was is it really did boil down to just people getting on the same page, getting a clarity on making sure everybody had a say in which direction we were going to go, making sure we got in the boat and we're rowing in the same direction and not fighting each other with paddles in the boat. And uh, it ended up being a great outcome. Uh, it was at the closing dinner, everybody was, was laughing and having a great time. And then we got a great outcome by selling the business to a strategic buyer who has since helped management grow the company substantially.
0: So, oh, that, that's such a great success story because you know I, I would imagine that there are a lot of companies that probably go into that situation probably the same way. But the fact that you all were able to kind of come together and, and really facilitate that level of communication that's so critical, is so important. I feel like, I wonder, and we've talked to a couple of clients over the years who it's almost like they've been avoiding that conflict. So that that's delaying their decision to, to actually do something because they know that it's gonna create some degree of, you know, strife amongst those that they really care about. But that being said, I mean, kind of taking it head on and, and, and allowing time and, and communication to kind of address it, I think, is going to ultimately lead to a, to a better outcome. So that was uh, that was helpful. So if if I'm a business owner listening to this right now, Clint, and and I'm interested in potentially exiting my company in the next three to five years, what do I need to be aware of, and what does the process of working with someone like you typically look like? You know, what, what's a, what's kind of the process that that we would look at?
1: What I would say is first, uh, let me start with the preparation. Comment again for an owner, which is always be thinking, even if you an owner and you're thinking you're 10 years out from a sale or maybe never selling, always think like you're going to go sell tomorrow. So continue to run your business, design your operations, your financial system, your ERP system, your key hires like a CFO, controller, who you build around you from an advisor standpoint, including a financial advisor or even a, a, an investment banking advisor that one day you may want to hire. Start thinking with the end in mind. From our standpoint, we are used to developing a relationship with owners and management teams for sometimes years. I've worked with companies and and been talking to them and advising them for close to a decade sometimes before they've actually then called me one day and said, "Okay, we're ready to do this." So, what I would say from our standpoint is we always like to build the relationship. We love the opportunity, you know, once, twice, three times a year to talk with an owner give them our insights. Oftentimes, they like to have us be a sounding board for them on major strategic initiatives or even minor initiatives to see how that would play out in the views or in the eyes of a buyer. So my whole theme, whether it be they're talking to an investment banker like me or they're just working internally with their own team, is think about how are ways we can continue to prepare and build value in anticipation of a likely or potential sale or capital raised
0: yeah, I think you know all everything that you just mentioned is just all about the importance of being proactive and even to to the mindset of building your your company and business as if you were you you were you were trying to sell even if you weren't interested in it because I think just focusing on enterprise value is is just a good business practice in general. But I think you know to your point, the earlier you can start, typically the better the the chance you can have at planning for it and then making it happen and accomplishing it. So I I would agree on the importance of that. And then really just kind of lastly here, Clint, I mean, there are, there are thousands of articles and books on building, growing, acquiring, selling a business. Some clients have told us that it can often be daunting and overwhelming just to get started to kick the tires and this stuff. But what, in your experience, have been some great resources that you'd recommend for people to become more educated in this experience? And you know, I guess kind of where, where, where do you even start to even begin learning about
1: all this? Yeah, and Jack, that's a great question because to your point, there are a lot, a lot of resources out there today. I mean, we're in the information age, right? So, just jump in Google and throw in M and A activity, and you're going to get eight thousand articles, probably, probably a whole lot more than that. So, we always, in full disclosure, I always start with an industry first mentality. So, if I'm talking to an owner in the automation space, or if I'm talking to an owner in the technology space, or I'm talking to a a doctor who owns a physician practice, ultimately what they should care most about, at least in the, the in the immediate term, is what is the m a activity like in their industry? And what I would always encourage them to do is that's where they should spend much of their time, which is getting to understand, and this can be done easily through Google searches, through reading trade publications, which often have transaction announcements, reaching out to someone like myself, who usually has a ready database of transactions and transaction comparables. I have no doubt, Jack, you also do a great job of tracking industry activity for your clients. That's what they wanted, what they, in my view as an owner, want to do is see well who's out there acquiring. And oftentimes the press releases, the transaction announcements, and then someone like myself who's talking to buyers offline all the time, those kind of sources will let you know, well, why are they buying? What's their strategy in acquiring? Are they acquiring capabilities? Are they acquiring for geography? Are they acquiring to uh, add a new service line? What are the transaction valuation comps or the multiples, which is always a key question from all owners? This is what really helps, in my view, make an owner a lot smarter about Who's out there in the market, investing, acquiring, and how is that driving fundamentals from an M&A perspective in an owner-specific industry?
0: What's so fascinating about that, Clint, is that your perspective and area expertise is obviously a different discipline than ours. And I think I think that just kind of drives home the point of talking to different advisors just to get their kind of perspective so, that they, so the clients can become more educated. Because while you're kind of talking... About you know kind of what the the marketplace is doing and and maybe how they can best position a company to get the outcome that they're looking for, the things that we're we're talking about with clients in the front end is painting that mental picture of of that day when it's a, a Tuesday morning and they're no longer at work anymore and like what are they doing, what does their lifestyle look like, what is their you know what are their legacy ambitions look like, charitable ambitions look like, I mean kind of that that life after business. Let's really really think critically about you know, what that moment in time looks like, because the reality is that, you know, these businesses, they have so much blood, sweat and tears that goes into them. People are so emotionally attached to the role they play with these companies. They're proud of the fact that they, you know, in often many cases took it and grew it significantly. And then to all of a sudden kind of walk away and have that be over, it can be very overwhelming. And and so I think that talking to you can, can bring, you know, one piece of the pie for an owner to, better understand and make decisions and then you know our our angle kind of comes up from netherlands and other advisors kind of have their their components too but all it kind of coming together is going to lead to better outcomes so that's a great point so really just kind of in closing clint was there anything in particular that you uh you wish that i'd asked about during the course of this show that that i didn't any other parting kind of words of that you had for our audience today before we uh go our separate ways
1: no, I just want to commend you, Jack, for tackling some what I think are really important topics to business owners. I mean, these businesses usually are their main asset. And what I would encourage any owner or whether it be a hundred percent or a minority owner or majority owner is to just stay on top of what's going on out there in the, the MA and capital markets and continue to, to do whatever they can to build value in their business, whether it be, you know, that, as I said earlier, building good books and records, building a quality management team, and staying on top of latest trends so that uh, they're on the progressive end of the valuation and not a, at the caboose end of valuation. I do really appreciate the opportunity today to speak on these.
0: Well, we, we appreciate you joining us. I know our our clients and audience are going to find this of tremendous value. And I just wanted to remind the audience that if you have any questions or feedback about any of the things that, that Clint and I discussed today, please feel free to reach out to us, John and myself, or even Clint uh, directly. And if you're interested in to speaking with Clint, just to kind of learn some more about what we talked about today, would be more than happy to make that introduction. Again, Clint, thank you so much for your time and for joining us. And uh, we hope the audience uh, has a great rest of their, uh, their, their day and week. And we look forward to uh, speaking with you all again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jack. Neither UBS Financial Services, Inc., nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, different material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at ubs.com backslash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services Inc is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA, member SIPC.